If you would grab a seat. Well, again, good morning. Uh, today is Resurrection Sunday. Uh, today is a special day, one of the most significant days in the life of the followers of Jesus, in the life of the Christian faith. Uh, good Friday and Easter have really become two of my favorite days of the year. And my kids have really come to love Easter. I have a five-year-old and two twins, uh, obviously, uh, who are eight. <laughs> There's always two twins, in case you're wondering. Um, but uh, my kids, they love Easter. And it was funny, yesterday I was talking with our youngest, Bennett, and he, uh, he just came up to me and he was like, Dad, he was like, I am so excited about tomorrow morning. And I was just, I was like so excited too that he was so excited. And I was just like, why, Bennett? I was like, well, tell me why you're so excited. And I sat there and I just fully expected my pastor's son to say something really profound. And he said, Dad, with this glimmer in his eye, because of all the candy. Because of all the candy that we get to have tomorrow. And I have to admit, I love the candy too. I am a sucker for candy. In fact, if you've been looking for those marshmallow-filled chocolate eggs around town, they're all gone because we ate all of them at our house. We just devour those things, uh, and it's just been fun. It's a fun time, but it's also confusing, isn't it? I mean, you've got things like a bunny going on at Easter. Where did that come from? You've got, you've got candy. You've got eggs. We, we did an egg hunt last Sunday, which was awesome, but how did these things have anything to do with Jesus not being in the tomb that we just read about. And I think uh, it begs the question, this mishmash of stuff, you know, that kind of goes on on Easter, it begs the question, what is Easter really about? What is Easter really ultimately about? Why, why are we here today celebrating? What is Easter about? You know, this week we've been tracing the steps of Jesus together. Uh, we started last Sunday at Milroy Park with Palm Sunday, which was amazing, and then on uh, Monday, Thursday, uh, and that evening, we gathered here and, and we remember the Lord's uh, final meal with his disciples before he was arrested and put on trial. And then Good Friday in the evening, we, we gathered here again just to remember and, and to slow down and reflect on the cross. And it was, it was incredibly powerful uh, to gather and, and to just gaze upon Jesus, our crucified Savior. But if the story stopped there, you know, imagine if the story ended with Jesus on the cross. Imagine if there was no Easter, in other words. It'd be really unlikely that any of us would be here at all today. It's unlikely that, that there would be anything called the church. It's very unlikely that we would have ever heard of anyone named Jesus of Nazareth. And so it's important, I think, for us to... to to take some time this morning and ask this question. What is Easter really about? Why is Easter so important? The truth is that the Gospels tell us that Jesus not only died, but that he rose from the dead. And it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes the Christian faith truly unique. Because Jesus really was raised from the dead. And if he really was raised from the dead, that changes everything. It changes everything. And so this morning what I want to do is I want us to consider um, three simple questions together. 
about the resurrection. Uh, first, what happened? Second, what uh, did it mean? And then third, why does it matter for us? So what happened, what did it mean, and why does it matter for us? So first, what happened? What happened at the resurrection? Um, you know, all four of the Gospels, they record Jesus' resurrection, the events of his rising from the dead. But it's interesting, all of the Gospels also tell us that the resurrection didn't just happen kind of out of nowhere. In fact, Jesus talked about his resurrection before it happened. Jesus knew he was going to rise from the dead. Luke 9.22, for example, says this. It says, The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Jesus said that. He said that over and over and over again to his followers. Jesus repeatedly claimed that he would be raised to life on the third day. So the resurrection isn't a surprise. Certainly wasn't a surprise to Jesus, and it should not have been a surprise to his followers. He had told them. But it's also true that Jesus died. He really died. He died in a very public and painful way at the hands of the Roman authorities. And the claim is that he rose from the dead. He died, he was dead, he was in the grave, and that he rose from the dead. And so for me, it's, it's a question of taking faith in Jesus in the resurrection uh, based on historical evidence, there, that there is actually good historical evidence for the resurrection. And so I just want to consider some of that evidence this morning together, because that you may not be aware of that. I think sometimes we don't realize that the resurrection actually has historical evidence. So, for one, there's eyewitness testimony. There was eyewitness testimony to the resurrection. 36 hours after Jesus died, Luke 24 tells us, we just read this, that Mary uh, and Mary and Joanna went to the tomb with a bunch of women. They all went together. Why were they going? They were going to embalm the body. They were going to take care of Jesus. It was the last loving thing they would ever get to do for this man who had meant so much to them. And so they went to the tomb. But when they arrived, the tomb was empty. They got there. There was no body. Luke tells us that their response to that was they were perplexed and they were frightened. Mark in his gospel says that they were trembling. They were literally sh- couldn't stop shaking because they couldn't understand what was going on, that the, t- the, the body of Jesus wasn't there. And it says that they actually fled, they ran from the tomb because they were so afraid. It's interesting that the Greek word, it, it, it's fuego. Isn't that a fun Greek word? Can you say that? Fuego? Fuego. Yeah, fuego means to run, to flee. It actually is the word that's used when uh, a wild animal is chasing you. <laughs> that's how fast they were running That's how frightened, how perplexed, how overwhelmed they were. These weren't simple people who just like, oh, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. Of course he did. That happens all the time. No, they were as shocked as we would have been. They were overwhelmed by what they were witnessing, that Jesus had been dead, but now he was alive. Luke goes on to tell us that there were two men, messengers from God, who stood by them in dazzling apparel. Others, others it says, kind of white 
clothes, these bright clothes. The idea is that they're messengers from the Lord. And they're there at the tomb. And this is what they say. They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember. Do you remember? Remember he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that on the third day he would rise from the dead. He told you that. See, Jesus was dead, and now he was alive. And so these women, they rush off, right? They rush off, Luke tells us, to, to tell the apostles. And, and the apostles are incredulous. They cannot believe it. But Peter, how amazing. Peter takes off just running. As fast as they ran away from the tomb, Peter runs to the tomb. He wants to see for himself. And he peers in, and it says that he was amazed. And he went away bewildered by what he had witnessed, this empty tomb. Luke and the other gospel writers uh, go on to give accounts uh, after this that, um, that Jesus had appeared to many eyewitnesses. And, and if you read the gospels, if you read Acts, if you read the letters of the New Testament, what it feels like is it feels like eyewitness accounts. It doesn't feel like a myth or these kind of fantastical fictions. They're supernatural stuff. We've got to deal with that. There's miracles. There's things that we can't necessarily explain how they happen. But they have the feel of someone who's actually recording historical events. If you were making up a story, for example, in the first century like this, there's some things that you wouldn't do. One prime example of that is you would not have women be the first witnesses at the tomb. Women were not considered in the first century, they were not considered credible witnesses. So if you wanted people to believe something, you would not have put women as the first witnesses at the tomb if you're making this up. There's all these kinds of things in the gospel that, that the gospel doesn't downplay their struggle to understand what had happened. That itself has the ring of truth that even for them it didn't make sense. And yet even secular historians acknowledging that, 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 that all these things are hard to explain are willing to also say there's good, there's no good alternative explanation for what happens in the life of the followers of Jesus after the resurrection. There's no reasonable way to, to decipher what happens in history next unless something happened, unless there was a resurrection. The other three gospels in the book of Acts, they go on and they tell more. They tell that Jesus appeared to uh, the disciples on at least 10 different occasions. And at one point, 1 Corinthians 15 says they appeared, he appeared to over 500 people at once. This was no ghost. This was no myth. This was Jesus risen from the dead. And so I just present that to us because there is evidence. There is historical evidence. The Gospels are at least historical documents. Not only, but at least that much. So there's evidence. Second, um, there's also the evidence, not just of eyewitnesses, but there's the evidence of changed lives in the followers of Jesus. You know what's amazing is before the resurrection, you know what the followers of Jesus were doing? They were hiding. They were hiding. They were afraid. They were ashamed that they had deserted Jesus. And then suddenly, after the resurrection, they're full of joy. They're courageous. They're willing to risk their lives to, to share this good news about Jesus. It doesn't make sense, right? Unless, unless something really happened at the tomb that day. 
Chuck Colson, um, uh, some of you may know that name, he went to prison as part of the Watergate scandal uh, and served a prison sentence, and he came to faith in Jesus in that time. And he was once asked uh, about this question of whether or not uh, this made sense, kind of the way things unfolded with the resurrection. And he said this. He said, I believe the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. This is what he says. He says this. This is really interesting. He says, how? He says, because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they could not keep a secret for three weeks, he said. You're telling me 12 apostles kept up a lie for 40 years? Impossible. Impossible. See, something extraordinary happened at the tomb that day, and it changed them, and it changed history. So that's another piece of evidence. The third piece of evidence would be this, the growth of the Christian church. I think the church is a testimony itself. After the resurrection, Jesus' Holy Spirit, it filled the followers of Jesus. And one of them, named Peter, he stood up in a crowd and he gave what was the first ever Christian sermon. And on that day, which we call Pentecost, he declared Jesus' resurrection and people believed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Luke records this in the book of Acts. He says that day and that moment from that one sermon right there on the streets in Jerusalem, over 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. Right there. You see, the the church itself explodes. N.T. Wright says this. He says the resurrection is something that happened at a moment in history, but at the same time it explodes beyond the bounds of history. It's not just about this moment. The resurrection changed the world and it changed lives. And like, like a pebble in a pond just echoes out through history, the resurrection. And today there are hundreds of millions of believers around the world from every nation and every race. There are people in this room right here who could stand and testify that Jesus, the risen Jesus, they have encountered him and he has changed their lives. You see, given the evidence I would say the most plausible explanation of the historical evidence that we have for the resurrection is that it actually happened, (laughs) that Jesus really rose from the dead. And so whether or not you believe it actually happened, I think you at least have to recognize that something happened unparalleled that has changed the course of human history. And you have to ask yourself, what was it? What was it? And so there's evidence that the resurrection happened. Second question, what does it mean? What does it mean? I would say first it means Jesus is alive. It means Jesus is not dead. Jesus said he would rise from the dead, and he did. He fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament, the prophecies of his own in the New Testament and the Gospels. He returned from the grave alive, and he is still alive today. We gather here this morning in the presence of the living Jesus. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he is with us. We're not singing about someone who died and lived a long time ago. We're singing, we're praising, we're praying to, 
We're speaking about today someone who's alive. Jesus is actually alive. And that means that we can know him. We can have a relationship with this Jesus, with God himself, by his spirit who is with us. So first, Jesus is alive. Second, what does it mean? It means that Jesus is who he said he was, that he's God, that he is the Messiah King. I want you for one second just to kind of as a thought experiment, think about the cross this way. I want you to think about the cross as, uh, as humanity's verdict on Jesus, right? This is what humanity thought. Think of all the things that were done to Jesus over the past week. People betrayed him, rejected him, mocked him, spat on him, flogged him, murdered him. These things show what humanity and the powers of this world think of Jesus. That was their verdict. He was worthless, and they got rid of him. But now I want you to think about the resurrection from God's perspective. Maybe you've never done this. Think about the resurrection from God's vantage point. The resurrection demonstrates God's power to reverse that very verdict, doesn't it? The resurrection, in the resurrection, he places ultimate worth on his son Jesus, is what God the Father does. God did not leave Jesus where men laid him. No, the startling news is that he is risen, that God the Father thinks differently about his son than we did. That God the Father, while we rejected him, has lifted Jesus up. God has power over sin, power over death, power to restore and redeem. That was always God's heart, always God's plan. And so one way to think about the resurrection of Jesus is the reversal of the world's verdict on Jesus. Through it, God said, this is my exalted son who was always in sovereign control. And even though he was rejected by his own people, even though he was abandoned by the disciples, brutalized by the Romans, and forsaken on the cross, he has paid the price of our sin. He has taken the verdict that we put on him that we actually deserved. He's taken that on himself. These three words, he has risen, they've changed everything. And so now it was clear that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the true king of heaven and earth, the king who made possible life beyond death. And not only that, the king who is working to redeem all things. You see, the resurrection reveals that the material world, it matters. It's not just about what happens when you die and go to heaven. It's about now. It's about what's going on right here. It's not about escaping death. It's about the fact that there's life to be lived, life eternal. And that life begins now through faith in Jesus. So that's what it means. And then finally, why does it matter? Why does it matter to us? It matters because the resurrection is good news. The resurrection is good news. And this good news of Jesus' resurrection spreads. It goes out. The women at the tomb, right? They run from the tomb. But where do they do? Where do they go? They go and they tell others. Because despite their fear, it was good news. For example, in Mark's account of the resurrection, one of the angels, when he says this, he says, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you into Galilee. He, he, you see, he called out Peter. Isn't that really interesting? You know, Peter's the one that betrayed him three times. And he predicted, he, Peter said, I'll never do it, Lord. And Peter did it. The overwhelming sense of shame and distance that Peter must have felt. But now, 
Jesus is alive. And he says, I want you to go, and I want you to get all my followers, but I really want you to make sure Peter knows that I'm alive. See, it's good news. It's good news that Jesus is alive and that we get to encounter him. No matter where we've come from, no matter what we've done, no matter how far we think we are from God, it's good news. Jesus is alive and that we can live with him now and forever. And this is a message that's relevant, as relevant to you and me today as it was to those followers on that day of resurrection. Because all of us, all of us face things in our life that are difficult. And even more than that, all of us face the inescapable reality of our own death. We all face death. And yet here is Jesus who, who walked out of the grave to leave those who trust in him out of the grave. You know, this is what makes the resurrection great news for all of us. Because no matter where you are, what you've done, what you have, where you live, however you've grown up, whatever you believe, the reality is that one day you will die. One day you will die. And in our culture, I think we're really, really uncomfortable talking about death. We don't know what to do with death in our day. We've got modern medicine, we've got technology, we've found remarkable ways uh, to, to prolong life, to improve the quality of life, but we, we can't stop death. We can't stop death. We don't know how to even talk about it anymore, how, how to help people prepare for it. And so, sadly, all too often we face it with uncertainty and fear. We don't have a framework for death. You know, I, I encounter more and more people in my life who um, the way they kind of think about life uh, doesn't help them when it comes to death. And, and this is what I mean by that. I, you know, the idea that, that there's just some kind of spirituality out there, that we can just kind of tap into this, this force or this, this higher kind of divine something out there. How does that help you with death? How is it comforting to know that at some point you're just going to cease to exist and join the, the eternal oneness or whatever it is? I personally don't find that particularly comforting. I mean, it goes on from there. If you don't believe in God at all, let's say you don't believe in God at all, then the power of death should scare you. The power of death is, is that it can rob life of any and all meaning. A few years ago, there was a, a, a letter to the editor that appeared in the New York Times. And I want to read it to you because I think it kind of captures this, this view of the world without, without God and this view of death. It says this. Uh, the author wrote, There are 30,000 galaxies that are 13 billion years old with many trillions of stars and planets. So in light of that, how significant are we really? You're not special. You're just another piece of decaying matter on the compost pile of this world. Encouraging letter to the editor. <laughs> nothing of who you are, nothing of what you do in this short time you're here will really ever matter. Anything short of that realization is vanity. But then this is a conclusion he drew. He said, so... Celebrate life in every moment. 
admire its wonders and love people without reservation. How absurd. How crazy is that? Nothing's going to last. Nothing really matters. There's no ultimate good, no right or wrong. Try not to think about it and be happy. That's the view. That's a naturalistic worldview, a human-centered worldview. But this is the world we're left in if there's no resurrection. You see, if there's no resurrection, it's a world without hope beyond death. You see, without the resurrection, all love is temporal. It's fading. It's even an illusion. I mean, think about the implications. Your child, if you have a child, is just a lump of atoms that's going to one day disappear. Some of you are wishing that sometimes. <laughs> your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, one day they'll just disappear. They won't exist. They'll be gone. They'll be forgotten. When the sun goes out one day, it doesn't rise anymore. All life will end, and there'll be the cold darkness of space that will hold no record that any of this ever existed. That's the alternative. But the resurrection, this is why we say praise God for the resurrection. The resurrection offers us the possibility of a different world, of a different reality, a different life, not just one day in heaven, but life that matters here and now. And so I, I want to say to you, maybe today you're asking that question, does my life really matter? Does this rat race, what, what's, what's the significance? Is there any hope? The message of the risen cross, is, of risen Jesus, is there is hope. There is hope beyond the grave, but not just beyond the grave, in life now. So if you're suffering, if you're lonely, if you're struggling in this life, if you're feeling lost, if you feel confused, if you're facing something in your life you feel like you cannot possibly overcome this morning, what I want to say is Jesus offers you hope. The resurrection offers you hope. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death itself. And he offers us life. And he offers us something that's eternal. He offers us life with him. The Apostle Paul, he put it really simply. He said, this is what it comes down to. He said, if you declare with your mouth, if you're willing to say and mean it, that Jesus, he was God. He was God. Jesus is Lord, if you'll say that, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he wasn't just a, a great man or a great teacher or a myth or somebody who lived a long time ago, that he was God and that he died and that he rose again. If you believe that he was raised from the dead, if you believe that, you will be rescued. You will be saved. God will draw you out of this meaningless darkness of a life that has no purpose and no end that matters. He'll draw you out of that into life with him. That's the good news of the resurrection. The good news of the resurrection is that those living in darkness have seen a great light, the light of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus, the one who was crucified and dead and buried and who has risen from the dead. It's that Jesus that we worship today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we do thank you. We thank you that death is not the end. Lord, that there is hope 
hope beyond the grave. But Lord, we thank you for what that means for us today. That it means our lives matter to you. That it means that our bodies matter to you. And you are the God who wants to restore all things and one day you will. Jesus, you will return and you will make all things new and you will wipe every tear and there will be no more pain. But until that day, we cling to the hope of the resurrection. And so Lord, I just pray for anyone here today that needs hope, that they would know the hope of Jesus. Hope for healing. Hope, Lord, for just the knowledge they're not alone. But hope that there is meaning and purpose to their life that they may think no one knows them and no one cares about them and, and their life wouldn't be missed. Lord, you know them and you love them. So I pray they would know that today. Lord, that they would know that you are the God who has risen from the dead and invites them to have faith, to trust in you for the life that you alone can offer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.